When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, the Broncos are set for their first big challenge of the 2021 season. And people have been wondering, is this team for real or is this a mirage? And instead of just enjoying the 3-0 start and the excitement that's back in Broncos country, there's been trepidation. There's been this pause of, well, is it sustainable? Is this... Is this real or are we traversing through the desert and this is just a giant mirage? There really isn't uh, an island sequence of a pool and island drinks with palm trees everywhere, but it's really just the Sahara Desert. And we're about to finally get the answer to all of this on Sunday when Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens come to Empower Field at Mile High. Yeah, so are we drinking sand right now, I think is the question. Uh, You know, it's interesting that one of the things that I keep seeing on Twitter, and you kind of alluded to it, is this idea that, well, the the teams that the Denver Broncos have played are a collective 0-9, which is true. They are a collective 0-9, and and the Denver Broncos are one-third of that. So I, I kind of find myself feeling more confident than I probably should and I, and I get that it's not like I right I get that they are wins against bad teams but they're not just wins they're convincing wins that's the thing I think that gives me the most hope for the future of this team and I'm not even talking about the this upcoming week against the Baltimore Ravens which will be a very big test it will be the largest test of the year obviously to this point and it will it will be an interesting way to cap off what would have normally been the first quarter of the season, which I can't believe we're already into week four here. That's insane to me. When you win, I guess it goes faster. That's kind of how this feels right now. And and I'm, I'm okay with it, right? Where This is fun, and, I, and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm not going to be a negative person about it. I know that there are some out there who – are sort of nitpicking about what they see and they're not happy with this and they're not happy with that. You still got some of the, the Druthers out there who are 
still unconvinced of what Teddy Bridgewater can do for this team, even though it's pretty clear to me he's got the locker room. Uh, you know, if you've seen on Twitter, I mean, every everything on Twitter is is uh, you know to the extremes, but the extremes for Teddy seem to be in the the vein of how much respect he has within the locker room, which I think is a huge, important, important piece for a quarterback, more so than other players. And so I'm I'm sort of not going to be worried about it in that sense. But I do understand the trepidation or just the apprehension. Uh, we've been burned before. We've been in a similar situation I'll just go back to the Case Keenum season. I mean, at one point, the Denver Broncos with Case Keenum were six and six and had an opportunity to make a run to go to the playoffs. There's there. There is that out there uh, at, w- at one point with with Trevor Simeon. I believe they were uh, also three and zero. And then they were. that's uh, the last time the Broncos <laughs> were three and zero. As I recall, it was the last time. And then uh, and then things went south rather quickly. I'm not sure that you're going to get any huge answers from this game against Baltimore one way or the other, win or lose, other than you will get a measure of what this team is truly made of. They have not been tested. That is something that is true. They have not been given uh, any real pushback. Yes, they've had a couple of drives where, you know, the Jaguars drive, for example, to start the game. That was a little bit like, whoa, that was kind of scary. Uh, There were some moments uh, I don't even know that you would call them moments, but there were there. Sure. There were some moments in all three of the first three games where you went, Oh, is this really going to work out? Quite frankly, they haven't been pushed. They haven't been challenged. Now they're going to be challenged. They, uh, will have to take a punch. And as Mike, Tun- Mike Tyson once said, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And that is what we are going to see with the Denver Broncos and the Baltimore Ravens coming up in week four. We are going to see if the Broncos can take a hit and then continue with their game plan. I, I think they can. I, I'm not 100% sure where what direction it will go uh, as far as win, a win or a loss. I mean, I have a prediction written down. I'm still not sure I like it. Uh, but, but we're going to see what this team is made of. And mostly that's because Baltimore is a really good organization that is well-coached has an established quarterback, has a good defense, and has a stellar running game. And that is going to be something that they have not faced at all in this 2021 season. What I will do in terms of the they haven't had a test, they've beaten three bad teams. Well, they've done what good teams are supposed to do, and that's beat bad football teams. And they haven't just won. As you said, they've won resoundingly. These games haven't been close. And that's what you're supposed to do against bad football teams. But I totally get the the trepidation, the hesitation, just wanting to see them against a good football team. And the Baltimore Ravens, as you just said, are a good football team. In terms of Teddy Bridgewater, how do you not like what he has done He has come in and become the leader of this football team. He's been exactly what the Broncos have needed and looked for since Peyton Manning retired. Not just on the field, but off the field. Anytime that they go into the locker room after a game and they show Vic Fangio giving out game balls, you see the leader of the team being Teddy Bridgewater saying, we haven't accomplished anything yet. Don't be surprised by success. The work and the success comes from the work during the week. That's how you make a successful football team. But in terms of what he's doing on the field, he has a 76.8 completion percentage for 827 yards, four touchdowns, and the key number, zero interceptions. He also has a quarterback rating of 116.4. It's hard to argue with that. You asked the question, how can you be unhappy with what Teddy Bridgewater is doing? If you're someone who's looking at it objectively just from the outside, and this is the thing that I I like about living in a different market than the Denver market, right? I I don't get the bias on either side. Everything I get as far as like local media is concerned and national media is, is sort of an outsider's view of what the Denver Broncos are. And I don't hear anybody who is 
not inside the local Denver area saying anything bad about what Teddy Bridgewater has done to this point. Not one person. Now, sometimes you can make the argument that, well, that's because they're not really paying attention. Sure, you can you could say, well, they're not, they're not seeing everything. But I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. Because what they are talking about is how surprised they are at how good this Denver Broncos team looks. And I don't think we're surprised because we pay attention to it. And my, my feeling on this is if you are someone who looks at what Teddy Bridgewater has done to this point and you can find things that, that you think are so egregious that you can't get behind him, that's a you problem. That's a, that's a problem with, with your own take on football. That's your own bias being pushed into it. That's your being an in, you know somebody who doesn't have uh, the ability to separate from what they wanted to see happen in preseason which was Drew Locke winning the, 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 let's just face it. These are Druthers. These are people who wanted Drew Locke to win. These are people who wanted Vic Fangio to get fired. These are people who didn't want what is happening now to happen. And so these are people who are going to nitpick. These are people who are going to say things like, uh, he still can't make the long throw, which I don't understand. These are people. By the way, to to debunk that. Yeah, please do. He's 10 of 22 on passes of 15 or more yards. So he's, he's doing okay. Like, I mean, it's, it's just because it doesn't fit your narrative that included Drew Locke winning the starting job. That's why people don't like what Teddy Bridgewater is doing because he's making them look bad because he's proving them wrong. And, and that's all that is happening here. And it, it probably doesn't deserve any more airtime than we've given it, but I, I think those people should just be shut down completely. If you can't objectively look at this team and say Teddy Bridgewater has done a good job, you just have an agenda that you're trying to push and you can't accept that you screwed up and, and said the wrong thing in preseason. And you didn't listen to what Justin Simmons has said about Teddy Bridgewater. And the thing that I can't get over is Broncos country loves the underdog story. It's why they love crappy quarterbacks, especially ones that were undrafted or late round draft picks. But how is there not a better underdog story than Teddy Bridgewater when he almost has his career ended with a leg injury playing for the Minnesota Vikings? The fact he is even playing football and playing it at the level at which he is playing it right now is absurd. And if you can't get behind that, if you can't support that, and you can't root for that, what the F is wrong with you? Because Teddy question. Bridgewater doesn't lip sync rap on the sideline, doesn't dance after he actually completes a pass. I mean, I don't want to rip on Drew Locke, whatever. This is about the Denver Broncos and the success of that. And for the first time in five years, they're winning games and it's still not enough. I mean, we've talked about how Broncos country is spoiled with the success that it had under Pat Bowen, even if you go back before that, go back to the Orange Crush, Broncos country has been spoiled. Yet they're 3-0, and and it's still not good enough. You're going to nitpick because you didn't get the quarterback that you wanted. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Celebrate the wins. Don't get too high with the wins. Don't get too low with the losses. Enjoy this. Celebrate it. They have a test on Sunday. It's not going to define the season. It's not going to derail it. It's not going to make it any smoother. But this is fun. Enjoy it. The team is actually playing complimentary good football. Well said. I mean, what else are you supposed to say there? You know, and I I will say, I think most of the people who listen to our show uh, are, are people who are, are just happy with the winning, right? There, there's a positivity there. And, I, and I'm happy about that, right? And maybe sometimes, you know, you get in the Twitterverse and, you, and it starts to kind of jade your view of things because you, you, know, you, you sort of see just all the negative and all the arguing and all the like hot takes that everybody's, everybody's got to have a hot take. Everybody's got to have the like, this is, oh, I'm going to say this. And then everybody's going to click the like and they're going to respond and they're going to quote tweet and blah, 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 blah. Which is maybe why I, I suck at Twitter. Like I'll tweet stuff, but it's it's not generally a hot take because I'm not very good at that. I, I do think that we we have more positivity in Broncos country than the than than there is like on the online, right? Get get up get off the internet and you go talk to the people, right? The real people. You get out in real Broncos country, I guess. I don't know. Then then you're gonna get more positive. <laughs> that felt a little weird, right? So 
<laughs> but it is. It's I the think online bubble. The online bubble will will cause you to want to pull your hair out. Uh, and and I try to avoid too much of it. I generally read stuff and laugh. But there are some people out there that you read it and you're just like, man, can't you just can't you just smile and enjoy? Just smile and enjoy. It actually feels good. It'll it'll help your your breathing. You'll breathe better. Your heart will beat better. You'll you'll live longer. You'll be a happier person, and you won't hate yourself every night when you put your head on your pillow because you'll be excited that your team is winning games, and that's all that matters. And it is all that matters. But I think it's important that we talk about that test, right? It's important that we acknowledge that Baltimore will be a difficult out. Just ask the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> just to say, if you need to look any further than than the Kansas City Chiefs, then you're looking wrong because the Kansas City Chiefs couldn't put them away. The Kansas City Chiefs Who, struggled with them. Who's the the la, the team in last place right now in the AFC West? Uh, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Which Boy, is it feels good to say that. So wonderful. It's so I have a I have a, a quick story here. I have a student who is a a, a Chiefs fan, and one of the first days he right. Won, Patrick Mahomes fan? No, he's a legit Chiefs fan. His family's from okay. Kansas City. I I, okay. I did a little dig, and I wanted to make sure. He's a nice kid, and so I don't I don't harp on him too much. But you know, everybody has their faults, I suppose. And uh, he came in today, and he said, "Hey, your Broncos, proud of your Broncos, three and zero." He was very very nice about it. You talk about complimentary. He was very complimentary of uh, the of the Denver Broncos. He goes. Now my Chiefs though, not proud of my Chiefs, and I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna smack talk a, a 12 year old kid, but I, I, I mean, I was tempted. I'm not gonna lie, the temptation was there to, to say something, but I held off because I'm a nice guy and I'm his teacher, and I don't need him to cry in class. But it was, it, it is true when you look at this, it's possible to say, hey, the, the Broncos look pretty good. What's going on with the Chiefs? And I, I, I know that the world will correct itself. It usually does. Everything Hopefully sort of it doesn't. comes out in the wash, but maybe it'll wait a while. That's kind of what I'm hoping for is we can just wait We've a while. We've been through five years of hell. Right. We the correction, this. The correction is coming, right? The correction is coming, but this is perhaps the correction that we've been waiting for, and that might be what happens on Sunday against the Ravens. We may see a correction in the way of the Denver Broncos go out and prove that they actually belong in the conversation, that they actually have a team that can compete with the upper echelon teams of the AFC. That is what I am hoping to see. And I, and I think this is just because I'm, again, I'm, I'm feeling so positive. I think that that might be what we get to. They're going to have to handle Lamar Jackson. They're going to have to be able to contain him in some way. They're going to have to stop the run and they're going to have to put up points. And I, that felt like the most cliched thing I've ever said, but it isn't, it isn't wrong. Because that's how you have to beat the Baltimore Ravens. The one thing that is giving anger or I don't know the right adjective to throw out for this, the thing that is causing the most, I guess, distaste, heartburn, indigestion is the injuries. Mm. That's the one thing that keeps popping up. And as I tweeted out, speaking of Twitter, I said, all right, the injury mojo can flip at any point now. This is getting ridiculous. And they've gotten two more guys on IR, KJ Hamler, who tore his ACL, and Jonas Griffith, the linebacker they traded with the San Francisco 49ers, is on short-term IR with, an, uh, with a hamstring. And they protected Brett Rippon, so he's now on the 53-man roster. So they have three quarterbacks. And I think it was Taylor Koth with Mile High Report who tweeted, okay, obviously they felt the need to protect Brett Rippon, but now you're taking the weakest area of this football team and taking someone off of it, and that's the special teams, to protect Brett Rippon. It's, uh, it's a question. There's a question to be asked there. I, I know that the sort of the immediate response is going to be, oh, they're going to trade Drew Locke, right? That's going to be the... The, the, the sort of the snap go-to, like, oh, that's what's going to happen. I actually think they're being cautious knowing that uh, if the injury bug is really running through uh, the Broncos' locker room, Teddy Bridgewater, who has had an incredible comeback in his career, uh, I think could have could have lost his leg in that injury if we're, if we're being honest. I mean, there was, there was some real concern there with that. Now here he is playing again. You want to protect the position. And that I understand. You want to make sure that you have uh, someone in place who can 
come in and, and fill that backup role if Teddy Bridgewater has to uh, be put you know, on the injury list and, and misses a few games and you are going to have to go to Drew Locke. Well, you need somebody to back up Drew Locke and Brett Rippon knows the system. Brett Rippon is serviceable. He can read a defense. Uh, he can help Drew Locke read a defense. I think that's the other thing that uh, we saw in 2020 that he was able to come in and as, uh, as a backup really sort of help guide Drew Locke in some cases. So it's a precaution that I am okay with. You're right. You're you're taking a guy off of special teams when, I, yikes. You know, we, Tom McMahon is still the special teams coordinator, so yikes. But at the same time, I understand that after all of the injuries that have taken place and all of the, the guys that have gone on IR and the moves that they've had to make, you don't want that to be a situation where uh, you're struggling at quarterback, which is the most important position on the field, because something happens to Teddy Bridgewater and now you've got to bring in Drew Locke and who's your backup going to be. You need a serviceable, back, serviceable backup. You need somebody uh, who already knows the system and isn't going to have to learn it all on the fly. So you protect him. I, I get it. I, I'm okay with it. It's not ideal, but I understand why they're doing it. And to segue into our keys to the game, I think as the week progresses, when you look at the injury report, Keep an eye on Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow because the way Calais Campbell and the interior of that Ravens defensive line is playing right now, they need Reisner and Glasgow, if they're able to go, to play. Because to me, that is going to be a huge key to the game. And we just saw it against the Jets with Quinn and Williams. We thought the interior of the Jets defensive line was going to cause problems for the Broncos, and it did to an extent. But now that's going to amp up with the way Calais Campbell and that interior of the Ravens defensive line is playing on top of what Don Wink Martindale, the way he has his defense set up and the way that he, he's able to do misdirections, show blitz, not blitz, blitz, go all out, the unique looks that he presents – I think it's going to help to have Teddy Bridgewater, who's a veteran quarterback, but I hopefully Reisner and Glasgow are able to go because they need that interior of the offensive line to, to help protect Teddy Bridgewater, but also get the run game going, which is, I think, an underrated but a very important aspect of this game. Yeah, and I think your key to the game sort of leads into mine, which is to, the Broncos' offense has to keep pace with the Ravens' offense. I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that the Ravens are able to score points against this Broncos' defense. Broncos' defense is very good, but the Ravens have a dynamic quarterback who does things that are sometimes impossible to defend because he's got the ability to turn into Barry Sanders. And I know that uh, Vic Fangio took a little bit of heat for, for comparing Lamar Jackson to Barry Sanders, but the comparison was more along the lines of dude's dynamic. When he's running the football, he's incredible and does things that nobody else can do. It wasn't, oh, he should be a running back, which I know some people took a little offense to the way that Fangio said that, but I, I think it was more a compliment just for the way he runs. And then on top of that, he's got a rifle. He's got the ability to just chuck the ball downfield. Now, he doesn't have receivers right now, apparently, is considering they dropped, what, three surefire touchdowns last week. And so there is definitely that aspect of it that will possibly help the Broncos. But the Broncos' offense has to keep pace. They can't allow the, the Ravens' offense to kind of pull too far ahead. That's something that... If the Ravens were to come out and score first and then score again and and get it to like a two or three score lead, I'm not sure I have enough confidence in this offense to be able to come back, especially f facing off on a defense like this. So they've got to, if nothing else, if they're not in the lead the whole time, they need to keep it close uh, just so that they can um, they can be within striking distance at the end. I, I do think the, the number for them is 24. If they can get to 24 points, I think that gives them a really good chance to win this game. That's that's where they've got to get to. I know that seems a little low considering they've scored more than that and have been very good, but I, I, I believe that the defense is going to do its job to an extent, and so the offense has to sort of do its job to an extent. And you're kind of you're gonna be in sort of a middle ground there with points. So if they can keep pace, if they can 
score when they need to, don't turn the ball over, uh, you know, win the field position battle, win time of possession, and, and keep Baltimore out of the end zone as much as possible, then that's going to that's gonna go lead to a win, in my opinion. That's going to go a long way for that. For my key to the game, it's control the line of scrimmage. Both the defensive and offensive line need to have great games. From the offensive standpoint, if Denver is able to run the ball, that sets up the rest of the offense. We've seen that through the first three games of the season with how Teddy Bridgewater uses play action so well. That will also keep Jackson and the Baltimore offense on the sideline. That's the other thing that we've seen the first three weeks is the Broncos controlled the time of possession. I, I, I'm pretty sure about this. I haven't looked. But the first three games of the season, the Broncos have had over 30 minutes of time of possession. I, th- I if, think close to it. I think you're. I think you're close. I think in the, in the Jets game they were just under 30. If they're able to control the ball for 30 minutes, they'll win this football game, because Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, despite the fact Lamar Jackson has a cannon, they're not really a a, a quick, high tempo, quick play offense. They're like they are a modern version of Fisher DeBerry's current Air Force offense, where like Air Force runs, they, they throw it like maybe five to 10 times a game and then they run it. That's all they do. It's like a, a wishbone offense. It's kind of like that with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Like it is a run first offense, no doubt. And that's why on the defensive side of the ball, it's such a tall ask. As I joked at the top, just ask the Chiefs. But if the Broncos can limit the big runs from the running back, Latavius Murray, or whoever the hell is the running back now since they have so many injuries, yet they're still able to run the football so well, which is nuts, largely because of Lamar Jackson, they have a chance. And I, I it, to me, it all it's so cliche. I mean, I, I could hear my grandfather saying this in the 60s, but... If you control the line of scrimmage, you win the football game. It's that simple on both sides of the ball. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense to me. Um, I, and and I think that probably is, is going to lead to some of our players to watch for you as well. So I guess why don't we just jump into that? Uh, and why don't we start on defense? Is there a player for you, uh, a player to watch on defense for the Denver Broncos? It, to me, it's two people. To me, it's Alexander Johnson and Kareem Jackson. Because to me, those are the two guys who Vic Fangio may call on to shadow Lamar Jackson. Because hopefully we've talked about this with Patrick Mahomes and uh, other mobile quarterbacks. You can even go back to the days of John Elway. Don't get up beyond the pocket. If you're Vaughn Miller, Malik Reed, or some of the other defensive linemen, do not go beyond the pocket. Hold your water, contain the edge. That's how you keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket. It's easier said than done. I totally get it. But hold your water. Do not go beyond the pocket. Do not go up the field beyond Lamar Jackson. But if they're able to do that, to me, the key is going to be Alexander Johnson and or Kareem Jackson because I think they'll be the guys called upon to shadow and watch Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, uh, sad. I think his key to the game was, or his, his, you know, sort of what he was was looking at was was that exact thing you just talked about was the defense containing Lamar Jackson. So I, it's it's an excellent point there. I, I think for me on defense, it's it's just that it's it's Von Miller, it's Von Miller on the edge, and is he able to to set the edge? Is he able to? And this is going to sound strange, and I think Von Miller might be the best at this of players like him, guys that just get after the quarterback. I think he's one of the best at, at understanding the situation and not getting too far upfield and not allowing that to happen to him where he just gets sort of run up the field and then that allows for the quarterback to sort of break out of the pocket. And so for me, he's the player to watch in that sense, that can he hold his water can he can he maintain him and Malik Reed on the edge? Can they maintain exactly what you talked about? And that's an edge that the the pocket can then collapse in versus everybody rushing up past Lamar Jackson. And then if I could just throw one more in there, you mentioned uh, Kareem Jackson. I, I'm going to throw in Justin Simmons here. Uh, I think Justin Simmons has an opportunity to have a pretty big game because of the issues that they have at wide receiver. You talked about 
the the Ravens wanting to run the football and running the football sort of at will. That's what they do. But when they do throw the football, it's deep shots and it's it's downfield and it is and it is home run balls. What I call chuck and pray. Yes, yeah, so a little bit of chuck and pray. And and for me, that's a that's Justin Simmons' time to shine. He he's going to be playing that deep ball. He's going to be there for that. Is he going to be able to have some some pass breakups? Is he going to be able to? light some guys up a little bit. Is he maybe going to come down with an interception because the opportunities will be there? And so or is be, he going to be like Raheem Moore? I don't. Why would you Why? Why would you even invoke that? Why don't I don't under, that made me, I threw up. I, there's vomit everywhere right now. You can't see it or hear it because it's pretend, but I am pretend vomiting all over my room. That's just, I, Oh, just, and now I can see it, like I can see it in my mind. It's just replaying over and over. I'm back in 2013 crying somewhere in a corner. I can't believe you did that to me. That's terrible. Right in the middle of I was going, too. I was so good. Now I've completely derailed. I'm just, I'm a train that has, that has gone off the tracks. There's been an explosion. Everything is over. How about this for a defensive strategy? Sure, just and- jump back in like nothing happened. I, I, it's just, it's too good. So Vic Fangio is, is basically like one of the defensive geniuses right now. Like I, I, I credit him for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers stopping Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs in the super bowl. I credit Vic Fangio with giving the game plan. What if they don't pass rush at all? What if they just have Von Miller, Malik Reed and all the defensive guys just stay right there. Like they don't move hmm. and they put the rest because we, we talk about how the Ravens don't have receivers. So maybe put Callahan on Marquise or yeah Hollywood Brown, and then literally put everyone else on Mark Andrews and just say, <laughs> okay, you want to beat us? We're not even going to rush you. We're not even going to attempt to control the line of scrimmage but we're going to make you throw the football. <laughs> but you can't throw it to Mark Andrews because we've got eight guys on him. <laughs> I don't know how we got eight on him, but we did. It's crazy. We were allowed to play with extra guys on the field this game. I, it would be, I, I think that's kind of the idea. Not necessarily to just stand still. but No, it, like you, you don't just stop. Like, right. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be like like when you it's do tug of war yeah, and one team just drops their side of the like, – I, I think it, I, I always think of Revenge of the Nerds in that right. situation because they know they're not going to be the the uh, the the frat guys in the tug of war, so they just drop the rope. It's not like that, but it's basically like daring them. We're not going to rush you and let Lamar Jackson beat we're, us with his legs. We're going to maintain this line. We're going to stay on this line. We're not going to let you push us off of it, but we're not going to try and push past you either. We're going to just force you to throw the football. That's I, I think that's... I wouldn't be surprised if that was uh, similar to what they do essentially at the up front is to say, Hey, we're setting, listen, Von Miller and Malik Reed are setting the edge. And aside from that, everybody else, you are, you are just staying put. We're going to put uh seven, seven, six, seven, eight guys in the box. And we're just going to go man to man on the outside. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that as well. We're going to dare you to beat us with your arm Lamar, because we don't believe that the guys you have around you can catch the football. So I can see that. I think it makes a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, I'm all in on that. All right, I've recovered. I've cleaned up all the vomit. Let's move on to the offense. Let's uh, let's talk about players to watch on the offensive side of the football. I want to go with the offensive line. I, I mean, it was my key to the game, control the line of scrimmage. The Broncos' offensive line is going to have to control the line of scrimmage. They need to protect Teddy Bridgewater, and they need to open lanes for Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams because that's how this offense is predicated. That's why Teddy Bridgewater has been so successful, is utilizing play action, and that only works if you're able to run the football. I'm going to go with two. Uh, you you mentioned Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I think they're definitely going to be important. Uh, first, I'm going to go with the cliche, and I'm going to say Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, this will be his first real test. This will be his first uh, first game in a Broncos uniform where he is playing a team that has the potential to beat the Denver Broncos. I, I think, and, and as was proven, we knew going into the season that the first three games, those three teams didn't really have a chance. It wasn't really going to be a challenge. Yes, you have to play the games. 
Yes, you have to show up any given Sunday, all those wonderful things. But this is the first game where Teddy Bridgewater will be challenged. It will not be easy to get through the progressions. You won't, won't be able to get go from read to read. You won't be able to, to do all of those things that he that he was able to do against the Jets and the Jags. That it's it's just going to be more difficult. So he ends up being an important player to watch here. Can he adjust to that? We've seen him do well scrambling. We've seen him uh, get outside the pocket and make good decisions and make good plays. Can he continue to do that against a team that's actually better uh, and probably will force him to do that more often? And then the other player to watch is a little bit of a, a curveball here, and it's Noah Fant. Noah Fant played perhaps his worst game uh, since his rookie season against the Jets. And if there is one thing about that game that you can point to and say, this was awful, it was the play of Noah Fant. Now, I'm not personally going to attack him for the fumble thing. I don't know. There was there was a big push on Twitter to get upset about the fact that on Javante Williams' fumble, he, would, he looked lazy uh, and sort of indifferent to what was going on. I, I actually have watched that play four or five times, trying to just see what happened there. He, he had a really good block. I think that he got done with his block and turned around and, and it took him a while to figure out what was going on. He started to run. And by the time he started to run, realized that it didn't matter anymore because everything was already way downfield. And so he stopped and it just ended up being a bad look, but he had several penalties. That That's is where he looked lazy. If you're going to come at yes. him for being lazy and not focused on the game, it's the stupid ass penalties that yes. he was flagged and, for. And that's my point. That's my point with him this week. He had a bad game against the Jets. He didn't really factor into the offense and he just it was he he was almost a drive killer. He was almost what Garrett Bowles was a few years ago, killing drives with bad penalties. But the Broncos were playing such a bad team that that Denver didn't have to worry about it as much. If he does that, if if you get the same performance out of Noah Fant against the Baltimore Ravens that you got against the Jets, I don't know how you keep him in the game. I don't know how you don't just tell him he needs to go sit down and let let Albert O and 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 Saubert just take care of it. Saubert, Siebert, I, I think I mess up his name every time as well. So, it, and his is easier, right? Akuegbunam, I can say that all day, but but Saubert, Saubert, I, I got I got nothing here. It's terrible. Sorbet, sorbet. Oh, I like sorbet. A little raspberry or lemon sorbet. Mix those two together. Delicious. I am. I am curious to see how he bounces back or if he bounces back. Cause if he doesn't, that's a big concern. He's a huge talent. He's somebody who should factor into the offense. He should be a huge weapon down near the goal line uh, on, on third and short third and long. He should just be a huge weapon in general, but he can't be if he's going to keep screwing up and committing penalties. So will he bounce back? So he's, he's my other player to watch just because Holy cow, what an awful game he had. I'll throw out a little bit of a, a wrinkle on this. Ooh, wrinkle. This is also a big test for Vic Fangio and his coaching staff. John Harbaugh and his coaching staff have his team prepared in every aspect of the game. This is a huge test for Vic Fangio and his coaching staff. The, the clock management, time management, game management – there is no ability to have those mistakes against John Harbaugh and this coaching staff because they will make you pay. It's it, without question, and, and you're absolutely right about that. It's a concern, I think, especially knowing Harbaugh was a special teams coach and yeah. a special teams yep. coach in Denver is still still Tom McMahon. So uh, it, it makes you nervous. You actually said before we started recording – you're worried that the special teams is where this game is going to turn and that, and that John Harbaugh's special teams is going to make a play that is going to result in, in something not great for the Broncos. Uh, and for those of us in Broncos country, it will be fascinating to see how that goes down. Because I, I mean, it's pretty much even on all aspects of this game, the teams are, are really I don't want to say even, but they're really close offensively and defensively. And the fact that Baltimore is still this close, despite all of its injuries, the Broncos have had its share of injuries. The Ravens are on like their fifth running back and they have like no healthy cornerbacks, which is crazy to me, but they're still winning. They, they beat the chiefs yeah. with no cornerbacks and their wide receivers don't have hands. They play with little stumps on the ends of their wrists. And so that's, that's also a, a problem for them as well. 
So I think the where Baltimore has such a huge advantage is special teams. And I just I feel like because how horrible Tom McMahon is at his job, it's gonna bite this team. Everyone knows it. It's gonna happen at some point. It's and the fact that John Harbaugh was a special teams coach with Andy Reid in Philadelphia, and the fact that the Ravens always seemingly have great special teams, that's my biggest concern about this football game. Can we do can I do a, a bold prediction? Just we haven't done bold predictions in a long time, but I have a bold prediction. Go for it. I think Justin Tucker breaks the uh field goal record against the Broncos. I think he kicks a sixty seven yarder or sixty eight yarder, something like that. Something close to seventy almost. I I think that they're gonna Just be, as long as it's before halftime. I think it, but that's what I kinda that's my bold prediction is that just before halftime he's gonna kick a sixty eight yard field goal uh just because the, just because he, I think he'll convince John Harbaugh to let him because he's that he's got that much of a leg that altitude. Come on, it'll give me an extra two yards. Go for it. Go on out there. Let's see if you can get the lucky bounce this time. That's my it's bold so prediction there. About Justin Tucker's kick against Detroit, I found it very interesting when Drew Brees was breaking it down. We were both former baseball players, mm-hmm. and we always you always see baseball players as they're getting ready to to throw it either the third or to home, they do that little hop to give them that little bit of extra momentum little, to little, give little them shuffle. a little juice. Yeah, you get a little shuffle in there. Tucker did that yeah. on his kick. I thought little... that was very interesting that, yeah. that Breeze pointed that out and said, notice this little shuffle or little hop that he does to give his leg a little bit of extra momentum. A little, a little oomph. He gives himself a little oomph there with that. I like that. I think that's interesting. What All would right. be funny is if Tucker did do that, I could see Brandon McManus going to Vic Fangio and saying, let me kick it from 70. Yeah. Except for, I I like Brandon McManus, but let's not, let's, let's be real about who he is and what he is. He's really consistent, but he isn't. If I was Justin Tucker, I'd be begging to get traded to the Denver Broncos. I'd be kicking 70 yard field goals all day. I'd be amazing. Except for I'd be playing for the Denver Broncos and we wouldn't be winning as many games except for this year. So you never know. All right. Speaking of predictions, that was my sort of, so, you know, self-aggrandizing bold prediction there. What is our prediction for the game? I've got a, I've got a score written down. I wrote it down before we started recording. I, I've gone back and forth on which team I think wins, but the number is the same, and I think I've, I'm going to go ahead and settle on it at this point. So I'll let you go first and see where you're at. Before I do that, I've been throwing out betting nuggets oh, on yeah, the Broncos. Okay. And I, I won't bet on the Broncos. It's the best advice I've been given since I'm in the industry is don't bet on your team. It's stressful enough to watch the Broncos. I can't imagine putting money on it and having money on the line and what that would do to my blood pressure. So I'll throw out the nuggets. And if the listeners want to bet, if they're in a legalized market, use a legalized sports betting app. Don't do offshore. There's too many risks involved. That's my soapbox sports betting moment. Teddy Bridgewater in his career, after the win against the Jets, when they were a 10 and a half point favorite, he's 38 and 14 in his career against the spread. Wow. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, he's definitely got some weird, look, you've mentioned a couple Teddy Bridgewater uh, against the spread nuggets. He's got some of the, the stranger, splits i guess you could call him he very extreme right he's very extreme on his on his against the spread splits and and wins and things like that very very interesting i'm with you though i won't bet the broncos i don't need that hassle in my life i i can't handle it i have a tendency to just do like bad same game parlays for a penny or a dime or whatever and just not care all that much so it just makes my life a little easier that way but that's an interesting one i like that what's your other one he's three so he's three and all this season against the spread and then the other interesting one is the current over-under is 44. And that's the total points for both teams, for those who don't know. The under is hit in all three games this season. Well, you know what that so means. It, that, yeah, it's going to be over. It'll be over. So <laughs> I, I'm not one that believes in trends, but I think those are interesting tidbits to keep an eye on when you're deciding whether or not to to put money down on a parlay or a same game parlay or just against just a, the spread, against whatever the spread money line, you, your choice, right? All, all good stuff. 
All right, what's your prediction for the game? Score, outcome, what's going to happen? 27-24 Broncos. Get out of here. I don't believe that you just said that because that's what I wrote down. I swear to God. Do I need to show it to you? I should snap a picture of it right now. I literally wrote that down and then have been back and forth. Broncos, Ravens, Broncos. I think that's the score. I have no doubt that's the score, but I, I couldn't figure out which team was going to kick the last second field goal to win it. I don't I'm think going it's, with McManus. I was going to say, I don't think it's Justin Tucker this week. I think it's Brandon McManus, who is Mr. Consistency. So uh, that doesn't happen often, but you know, here we are with the same exact score prediction, and I think, I think we both had the same outcome in mind, a field goal at the end to win it by Brandon McManus, which I would love. I would love that. That would be fantastic. And I don't know if we talked about this on the post-game recap, but what's interesting to me is this game when the Lions came out at, in April – the Broncos were a three-point underdog. They're now a one-point favorite. So it's flipped four points just on three games. I, I, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about just how the, the Broncos are they're changing their perception with, with betters and with the national media. It does not surprise me uh, because they are showing that they are, if nothing else, at least a legitimate contender to win each week, maybe not to make the playoffs. Some people might not believe in that, but they are a contender to win each week. They are going to compete. Uh, so I can, I can see that flipping. I, I do think I've heard in the past, if you're a one point favorite uh, at home, that means you're actually an underdog because you're, you're, you're supposed to win by three or whatever. I've heard that uh, from some betting circles, even still to, to have it flip that many points in just three weeks of play. It, it says a lot. I'll be curious to see how they do against that. I what I, I mentioned keeping an eye on Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow. Since I'm in the industry, one thing I'm going to keep an eye on is where the Sharps put their money on this game. Which way do they go? Do they find market in Lamar Jackson and the Ravens being an underdog, a one-point underdog? And how do the books respond to it? I don't think we've seen anything yet. I'm curious to see what is going to happen in Vegas and and the Sharps and what they decide. And I'm speaking of sharp betters, where they put the action and how the books adjust to it, because that's ultimately what leads to lines adjusting one way or another. Yeah, it's craziness. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll do our our look at the AFC West matchups and our whip around the league, and uh, then we'll wrap things up. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Ian. Let's uh, jump right in and do a little looking at the league here. We'll start with the AFC West. Uh, the Chiefs and Eagles play. The Chiefs are going to win that. But one of the biggest games of the week, especially for Bronco fans, is the Monday night football matchup between the Raiders and the Chargers. I, I think despite the fact that the, the broadcast crew is going to be boring and eh, or we I mean, can I watch the watch Mannings. Peyton and, yeah, right. Peyton and Eli. Maybe we could get the two birds salute from Eli I, I again. I don't believe you're going to get Peyton and Eli this week. I, I, I'm oh, that's right. They're going to be gone in week seven. They're going to be, yeah. Yeah. So, so great. I guess I'm going to be watching the TV on mute. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I think that's going to be – I'm interested to see how the Chargers respond because to go on the road and beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in Arrowhead, now they get the 3-0 and Raiders who I think – I'll say it. They've been lucky. They, I don't think they've been good. I think they've been lucky. Um, hopefully that ends because I hate the Raiders and 
I hate Derek Carr and I hate John Gruden and I hate the guy who owns the Raiders, who is the son of the guy that I hate. So F the Raiders and I hope they lose. Yeah, I think there's there there might I may have picked up on a little bias there. There might be a little bias against the Raiders on that, and I and I, I understand it. I'm I'm sort of in the same boat as far as how much I hate the Raiders. I'm not sure I'm in the same boat with you as far as how lucky I think. I think they got lucky against the Dolphins. I'll give you that. They they didn't they look lucky as against the Ravens. sharp. And I think they got lucky against the Ravens. I'll give you that. But they manhandled the Steelers, who are terrible, apparently. I, I mean, I don't even know that you can learn anything from that. Uh, it's the one time that Ben Roethlisberger was manhandled. Yeah, that's just, whoa, whoa there. Hello. <laughs> it's, I mean, he's he spent a lot of his time just falling down on his own as well. That's... Uh, that's something that I, I guess Mike Tomlin's going to have to address with him. Hey, maybe try and stay standing, you know, while we're playing football, it would help. Uh, I say fall down. I can't stand Ben Roethlisberger. The Raiders are an interesting, they're, they're an interesting team right now. I, I am curious as you are to see how they play against the chargers who I think are a very good team. They have some issues on, on defense, but they still have Joey Bosa. They still have the potential to score a ton of points. Justin Herbert is becoming uh, an incredible quarterback. I, I think that the one thing that is a, a little disheartening here is that for the foreseeable future, as Bronco fans, we're going to be dealing with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And I don't care what you think of just uh, of, of Derek Carr. None of that matters. Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert are in the AFC West for the foreseeable future. And that sucks. Uh, I, I kind of think this is a Chargers win. Uh, you know, playing yeah, at I home agree. in Los Angeles, I think they get the win. I think they're a pretty good team. I, they're going to be a tough out as well. So it's a big game. It would be nice to see the Raiders lose because it means that potentially the Broncos could be on top of the AFC West as the only undefeated team in the AFC West or, or tied. Just tied. But the thing that would, would help in that situation is the Raiders would have a loss in the division. Exactly. So, But so, the Chargers would have two wins in the division. Yeah, there's that as well. It's all very, you know, the numbers game. I don't teach math, and I do that on purpose. So uh, I try and stay away from that. But that is that is definitely, at least for Bronco fans, when it comes to watching games that are not Bronco games, that's the biggest game of the week. That's the one that, that we are going to be paying attention to. It's nice that it's on Monday night, and I don't have to watch anything else. I can just watch that, like you said, on mute, because Steve Levy and Brian Greasy and, and Lewis Riddick, just, they just, I just, I can't. They're just not great. I, I, mentioned, I, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. I think we've talked about it. How do you not have Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet as your NFL top-of-the-line NFL crew? I, I, it's a great question. And I think that the idea there is that they are the, they're the college football guys. They do the the biggest college football games of the week, every week. And that's, I, I I'm fine with that, but can't they do both because yeah, they could please. do both and, and they could, I, but I make, get. make move Steve Levy to hockey. I love Steve Levy. He's hockey. an ESPN original. Even if he's not, he's been around forever. Move him to hockey. He does not. I I just and get rid of Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick should be a GM. I, I love he the way that should he should be a GM. I agree. I with love you. the way that he can break down plays at Brian Greasy. Eh, whatever. Yeah, please do both. I actually I like Lewis Riddick in studio. I thought he was yes. so good in studio because he could he could go through the process of breaking things down plays and moves. He he had both sides and did so well with that. And I think that, and not to get sort of off on this Monday Night Football tangent, but I, I do think that what they were trying to do was bring in a, a a group of guys, these three guys who could talk about the game in different ways. Uh, you have and, and Steve Levy isn't bad. He's just more of a hockey guy. And I, I think the hope was that Brian Greasy would be able to do what he was doing at, col- at the college level. He was good in the college booth. For whatever reason, I liked Brian Greasy in a college booth. I think that fit for him really well. Maybe it's because it was the last place that he had any real success. But Lewis Riddick to me is a is a perfect guy for a studio show to be able to have those conversations that that we find fascinating about the plays on the field and then the moves that are made off the field. He does both of those so well and you can't squeeze that in in a broadcast booth because that's not what the game is for. So you're not really, that's not what you should be talking about. What you should be talking about 
is the game and the things that go on around the game. And it's it's a bit of a waste, I think, with Lewis Riddick there. And and, and you're right. He should be a GM. If he's not going to be in the studio, he should be in somebody's uh, GM box putting a team together, probably uh, winning a lot of football games because I, I think he would be awesome at that. I really like Lewis Riddick. In terms of hot takes, I think I would rather have Al Michaels, Dan Fouts, and Dennis Miller back than these three guys. Oh, holy cow. Oh, Alchie, babe. We're going back to Dennis Miller. I can't stand Dennis Miller. He's, I hate that guy. Uh, <laughs> I used to love him, and then I just he his shtick got a little rough for me. I don't know. It's he's fine, whatever. Uh, I I would I think even prefer Tony Kornheiser. Ooh, I, I don't know if I'll go that far, I but think... he might he he'd be better than Brian Greasy. He would, and you know what? I'm going to say it. I miss Mike Tirico and John Gruden. Well, I, I I think Mike Tirico is by far, in my opinion, the best play-by-play guy in the business right now because he what he, what makes him so good is he makes his color commentator good. Yes, that's what makes a play-by-play guy. John Gruden wasn't that good. He was good because of Mike Tirico, right? Which is which is why I miss Mike Tirico and John Gruden because he yes. made John Gruden really good when we all knew he really wasn't good. And that, and that's kind of cool. All right. Anyway, back on track, back on track here. Uh, what, what are the other games that, that you're going to focus on this week that, that you find fascinating, important, those kinds of things. To me, the two best games on the schedule are the Cardinals and the Rams. And I mean, that, that's just an interesting dynamic because you have the two MVP candidates that I think are in terms of the betting odds, the two favorites right now with Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford. The fact that this game is in LA, I don't know if I, I'm, I think that benefits the Rams maybe a little bit, but the thing that's going to be the key to this game is the defense that the Cardinals bring. What defense shows up? Cause you know, the Rams defense is going to show up with Aaron Donald. What do the Cardinals do with this Sean McVay, Matt Stafford led offense that just torched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. This game, I think, ends up being more of a defensive battle than people are expecting. Or it ends up being just an insane offensive battle. You, you could go either way with this. Uh, I, I do think the Rams win this game. I, the Rams, to me, are a team that is on, on their way to challenging for a Super Bowl. I think they make the NFC Championship at minimum. And, and I, I, I have them as as my, my pick right now to make the Super Bowl. I, I don't think that Tampa Bay is getting past them. We just watched what they did to Tampa Bay. So uh, I was pretty high on, on Matthew Stafford going into the season from a fantasy perspective. I have him on two of my fantasy football teams, uh, and he was my target. The other guy, the other the third one, I have Aaron Rodgers, and I wish I would have just been patient and drafted Matthew Stafford, but that's neither here nor there. And so to me, that's, that's a big game because it, that's another division game. That's one where the Rams can separate themselves a little bit. And I, and I think that they will, I believe the Rams are the team to beat in the NFC right now, which makes every game they play an interesting game to watch. Uh, the other game that you mentioned to me is one that is just getting a ton of play nationally. It's the Sunday night game. It's Buccaneers and Patriots. Uh, it's, it's Tom Brady returning to Gillette stadium. Uh, of course, we're and, and to, it's not. We get to and, hear about it all week, so we might as well talk about it. And the thing that's going to be interesting is: is the game going to be close? No, because people are going to talk about Bill Belichick and the defense, and whether or not that, that. I mean, they know Tom Brady and all this stuff. Tom Brady knows the situation. He knows the talk about. Well, is it Belichick or is it Brady? He, the, I mean, come on. He wants to make a statement. He wants, I, to me, I don't think this game is going to be close. I don't think it's going to be close at all. I think Tom Brady could potentially set his individual passing record at Gillette Stadium by throwing for close to 500 yards. I, I think they're going to score over 40 points. There are, they, I mean, they are coming off a loss to the Rams. So I, that that's where there's intrigue on this. And because Tom Brady will set the NFL all time passing record with 67 yards when he passes Drew Brees. 
can I can I tangent a little here? I wanted to ask you a question about that because we talked about you know before we recorded we talked about who do we think he's going to throw the last one to and all that stuff and I none of that really matters to me. When I look at the records that have been broken and the, and the way that the NFL record book has has ballooned in some cases, do, do you discount these records at all? I like I find myself looking at what. Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady did and the, and the numbers that they put up and Aaron Rodgers is going to go in and, and sort of get put in that sort of stratosphere with these just exorbitant numbers, these huge, incredibly insane numbers. And you look back on like what Dan Marino did and the number, the records that he set before he retired. And the fact that when John Elroy retired, he was like just the, the second guy to throw for 50,000 50. yards or, yep. or whatever. It was like insane. It was just those two guys. And now, you look and it's 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 like the 500 home run club. It used to be like a couple of dudes and now it's like 70 guys. So is there a watering down of those records because of the way that the game is played today? Or do you think it still matters? Because I also find that in the NFL, numbers aren't as important to a player's legacy as as they are in other sports, right? You look at baseball, baseball is a, is a stat-driven sport. Uh, you know, there are, there are milestone numbers. And if you hit those numbers, I remember stories of Frank Thomas talking about, oh, I need to do this, this year. I need to hit this, you know, you have this average and you have this many home runs, this many RBIs. Those are the milestones I need to hit this year. And then I got to do this the next year so that I can hit these career milestones. Like he had it mapped out to get himself into the hall of fame, which some people hated, but if, if you knew what you needed to do and then you did it and you got into the hall of fame, isn't that even more impressive? I mean, I, I think it is, but do you think it's watered? Like, I, I'm almost like not impressed that Tom Brady's going to hit eighty thousand yards. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. Should it? I think the I think the reason it does is because he's been playing for so long. Like he hasn't hit eighty thousand yet. He's been playing for like eighty years. What took him so long? <laughs> so I I think I think that's where it comes from. But I I think in terms of like comparing generation to generation, I I think we do this with any sport, right? I mean, look at the NBA. You, you have discussions now about, well, Michael Jordan's not the best player ever. It's LeBron or Kobe. And then or I Steph think Steph Curry or the original triple double factor. Oscar Robertson isn't even in the, in, isn't even in the discussion. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar so, gets left out. I, or Bill Russell who go. shut down Will Chamberlain. So I, I think it, it happens in every sport because you want to compare generations. I, I wonder what would Johnny Unitas do with the way the game is played today? Because he was the first vertical air quarterback. I, I talk to my wife all the time. I obviously never watched Johnny Unitas play, but my mom would tell me stories when she would watch the Baltimore Colts with, with my grandfather, and she would say anytime they got onto the opponent's side of the 50-yard line, if it was a first down, they would go deep. They would take shots at the end zone. Can you imagine Johnny Unitas and and Don Shula in that offense today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, go back even further than that in the fifties. What about Otto Graham? It is. It's it's a fascinating way to look at things. The old man's going to love that you talked about Johnny Unitas. By the way, Johnny Unitas was his favorite player. When you, whenever I ask him who's the greatest quarterback of all time, he says Johnny Unitas. He still does, uh, with a wink, because he knows it's John Elway, and that's fine. Uh, but also, <laughs> I, maybe I don't know. I think you could you could make that same argument for John Elway, in fact, if we want to have that conversation. The numbers that Dan Marino would put up in today's NFL, Joe Montana would put up insane numbers. If you took that, if you took that 49ers team and and you put and, them and, in and the in, defensive rules now. Yes, and, and you put them in you today's touch NFL. Jerry Rice. You, you you they'd never lose a game, it feels like. It, it, you'd be you you'd be looking at a team that was constantly, you know, 15 and two, cause I can add to 17 now or 16 and one. And the, the, the one or two games they'd lose would be games that they didn't play any of their starters. Cause they were already uh, wrapped up for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The, they would probably average 40 points a game. I, like it, it would be talk, college football about the numbers. greatest show on turf. Yeah. It, and imagine And we've talked about this. Imagine you put John Elway as the quarterback of those 49ers teams. If John Elway had been the quarterback of those 49ers teams, I I think they win six or seven Super Bowls in a row. I I, I truly believe that he was that talented. And I, I, it boggles my mind how many people 
when I when I see things like who's on your quarterback Mount Rushmore, and I saw Rich Eisen tweeted it out, and he had uh, Montana, Elway, Brady, and and Manning, and the the guy who people went after as not being on that. They, oh, I would I agree with all of it except for Elway. I agree with all of it or, except for Elway. Well, they're idiots. I, I, are you kidding me? Have you never watched him actually play? And I have I have a reason for that. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show. I was having a conversation with a guy that I work with. And, and he's like, I don't understand what you love about John Elway. I'm like, well, look at the way he played. And he said, well, you got to remember, growing up in the Midwest, we never watched the Broncos play football. So the only time we ever saw the Broncos play was when they were in the Super Bowl. And every time we saw him play in the Super Bowl, at least for the first three, he was getting rolled. He was getting destroyed. He was get and people be like, oh, I've heard all these great things about this John Elway guy. And then he goes out and he, and he plays like, like, like garbage. And, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought he was supposed to be great. So I think a lot of people who are just regular folks living in the Midwest, living in living on the East Coast, living on the West Coast, who never experienced watching him play because they didn't get to see him because of the way the NFL broadcast games and you didn't see all the games and you didn't see all. Like, we see everybody now, right? There's nobody you don't see. I turn on, that's all I watch is Red Zone and the Broncos. I see everybody. I know everything that's going on. They didn't know that. And so you have a lot of people who grew up believing that Elway was garbage because of the things that happened to him in Super Bowls against incredible teams while he was essentially carrying entire teams to the Super Bowl. I I digress because we could talk about this for days. But to bring it back to what Tom Brady is doing, because that's sort of where we are with this, I do think that in the game against the the Patriots, you're absolutely right. He's going to want to put up a big number just to say, see, I told you so. The thing that I will say about the people who didn't watch John Elway and they say, well, he didn't play that well in the Super Bowl. Well, one, you're an idiot. B, there's YouTube. Google it. Watch it. I mean, it's not that difficult. If you're going to make a statement like that, you need to have something to back it up. And if you if you admit that you haven't watched him, you can't make a statement that then says, well, he's not on the Rushmore Hall of Fame of quarterbacks. You just admitted you didn't watch him. You cannot then say, well, he doesn't belong on the Mount Rushmore because I watched him in a Super Bowl and he got blown out. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Broncos.